Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 10. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will, not, for you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. This is God's word. Thank you, Susan. Uh, good morning. My name is Brandon Lutz. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer City Church. Uh, this morning we're going to finish out our Advent series, um, and then next we're going to return to our series on Romans uh, that we'll be looking at throughout the spring, and then I think we'll take another break from it in the summer and look again, come back to it next fall to finish it out. So we're finishing up the, the Christmas season. This is the last Sunday you'll see our Advent decorations up. Um, but a lot of families during Christmas, they have different family traditions, different things that they like to do, whether it's making certain cookies, whether it's going... Um, one of the things that we did growing up was we drove to specific neighborhoods where you had to wait about 30 minutes just to get into the neighborhood and look at all the Christmas lights. And neighborhoods would have competitions, and, and you would just go and just marvel at, at all the hundreds or thousands of dollars that families and houses put into making these Christmas lights and these houses look really pretty for Christmas. So we all do different things, whether it's cookies, whether it's going somewhere, whether it's going and see specific family. Uh, but one of the things that my family did growing up um, was we, we would always watch certain Christmas movies. And so uh, one, of my, one of the movies that we'd watch every year, and it's one of my favorites, and it's, if, if it's not the greatest, it's definitely one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, The Christmas Story. Are you all familiar with The Christmas Story? I showed it to my students a few years ago at our Christmas party, and they did not like it. It was a sad day. But the Christmas story, it's up there with Christmas Vacation, Jingle All the Way, which is one of my favorites, but no one likes it. Arnold Schwarzenegger Christmas movie, anyways. Um, but the Christmas story, it's so good, it's so um, enjoyable that TBS shows it for 24 hours straight. 
from Christmas Eve through Christmas Day. Christmas Day. And what I love about the movie is, is that uh, one of the things I love about the movie is that it captures just the stress, all the stress, all the, the hard work that go, goes into making Christmas actually happen. I mean, think about, if you've seen the movie, you know all the things that go wrong. But if you haven't seen the movie, here, here's a list of some of the things that go wrong. They get a flat tire while driving on the interstate while it's snowing. So the dad gets out, and then their eldest son, Ralphie, he gets out of the car to help, and he drops uh, what they describe as the mother of all cuss words when he can't help his dad. Ralphie gets in the fight with the, the neighborhood and school bully. Randy, the youngest son, he won't eat his food, so his mom has to pretend to be a piggy in order to get his son to eat his food. Uh, the, his best friend gets his tongue stuck on a pole as he loses a bet. The dog, the neighbor's dog, sneak in and they eat the Christmas turkey, which is a really big deal for, it was a really big deal for them. So they have to eat Christmas dinner in a Chinese restaurant. The furnace goes out, and they're up north. It's freezing, it's snowing the entire movie. The furnace goes out. And when Ralphie finally gets his Red Rider BB gun that he's been waiting for and longing for the entire movie, he shoots his eye out. What I find really interesting is that at the end of this movie, at the end of all this chaos, in spite of everything that has led up to Christmas for this family, is it ends with a peaceful scene of the mom and dad sitting on the couch, watching the snow fall in the dark with the Christmas lights on, and Ralphie and Randy sleeping in their beds. And actually, it, it seems like this is the narrative for all Christmas movies. There's complete craziness, there's, there's chaos, but at the end there is peace. Our hearts are a lot like the Christmas movie narrative. Our hearts are stressed out. They tend to go crazy, and they're in chaos. And we are like this, not because of our lives or anything involving our circumstances or what we're going through, but because of our lost, wayward, sinful hearts. Our hearts constantly believe the lie that a Red Ryder BB gun is what will give us the most satisfaction and worth in life. Until we come to terms with the truth of our helplessness, our inability to make us right, and our hopelessness to save us from our brokenness, we will only look to things other than God to save us. We'll be stuck in this never-ending cycle of spiritual adultery. Isaiah 54 and the lives of Sarah, Hannah, Elizabeth, and Mary, they're all pointing towards the peace that we can only have through Jesus Christ. We're all broken and sinful, just like these women, and our only chance for peace is to receive compassion as we read in our text. We need to be redeemed. In Isaiah 54, we read that God loves to have compassion on us, and we read that he is our redeemer. God is your redeemer. He is your savior. He is your rescuer. He is the only one who can. God is the one that can give you peace. He is called the prince of peace, and when, we, and when he was born, the angels declared that peace has come. What makes our God even more amazing is that our God, your Redeemer, he wants to give us this peace in spite of our brokenness and in spite of our sinfulness. And what makes it even more amazing is that we can have this peace today. We can have it right now. Not in heaven. We don't have to wait for it. We can have it now. So we're going to look at the, the metaphor of the lost wife and the compassionate husband. We're going to focus on verses 4 through 10 uh, in this passage. But we're going to start off by looking at the lost wife. We've been looking at four barren women in the Bible this Advent season. But the main theme for all these women 
is found in the first three verses of Isaiah 54. The first three women, Sarah, Hannah, and Elizabeth, were barren and unable to give birth to children. They struggled with this for a long time. We've looked at this the last, uh, for the first three weeks of our Advent series. Mary's circumstance is a little different, but we're going to get to that in a moment. But, But infertility is what these three women were facing in their lives. You know, we've unpacked the, the significance of this in their day and age the last few weeks, but today, but today it is just as hard to go through infertility. Having children and giving birth to children is one of the foundational desires that God has given women. In Genesis 1, after God had created Adam and Eve, the first words from God to them was this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Before sin even entered the world, God had tasked humanity with producing children and women with giving birth to them. I've had so many friends uh, struggle with infertility. We had maybe like nine or ten couples in college that Rachel and I were friends with, and I think eight eight of us went on to get married. Seven out of the eight couples struggled with infertility in some kind of way. And it seems like if you don't struggle with infertility in some kind of way, then you are the minority. I've seen their pain, I've had conversations with them, and I've, I've seen their, their brokenness and, and their just inability to understand what God is doing to them in all of this. I've seen them, I've heard them express that they feel less than. They feel less than, they feel less human because they're unable to do one of the primary things they were created to do. My friends and, and these women and these men who have struggled with this, they feel less than. If you have never struggled with infertility, can you at least empathize with them and feeling like you are less than? That you are not as you should be. So that's the first three women. And then we move on to Mary, who's a virgin. She's engaged to Joseph. She's chosen to be the mother of Jesus. She's an unmarried pregnant woman. And the father of her baby is not her future husband. I mean, this, this situation has Jerry Springer, Dr. Phil, written all over it. But consider her embarrassment and shame as, as to what other people are going to think about her, what they're going to say about her behind her back, even to her face. And when we consider these women's stories, as you reflect on your own life, and as you think about similar situations, maybe you, your family, or loved ones that have or are facing, I hope you can see how we can be so overtaken by shame in the midst of all this. It's so easy to be cynical and expect the worst when we're going through life, especially if we've been hit by just hard thing after another hard thing. To lose faith and give into unbelief and doubting God's goodness and plan for us is a normal thought in these situations and circumstances. It's so easy to be frozen and to give into fear. Those are the four things we looked at the last four weeks. And when we struggle with unbelief, shame, cynicism, and fear, we can so quickly turn away from God and run to something else, something else, someone else. Isaiah 54 transitions from the barren woman metaphor to the lost wife metaphor. Throughout the Bible, God's children are often depicted as a wife, and God is depicted as her husband. Isaiah uses this metaphor in verses 4 through 10, comparing us with the lost and wayward wife. You see, the audience for Isaiah is the people of Israel. God has been loving and serving his people, his wife, for as long as he can remember, as long as he has created them. But now Israel, his wife, has ran to other gods. Now his wife is running to other lovers and committing spiritual adultery, leaving her husband, her faithful husband. 
And we do the same thing over and over and over again today, whether you're a believer or not. God is loving us and serving us, yet we are so quick to run into the arms of another. Instead of finding our, our worth and our identity and our satisfaction in God, we find it in something else. It, it's almost like we have this chronic, daily, momentarily amnesia throughout our lives, throughout each day, that we are God's bride, that we are his wife. You know, I'm, I'm not a big um, chick, fic, chick flick fan, but there's a few that I do enjoy. Um, one of the ones that I really enjoy, and which is odd for me, because usually has to be some kind of bit of um, just comedy in it, but the movie The Vow is just a romantic chick flick drama, not a ton of comedy at all in it. But it stars Rachel McAdams and Channing Tatum, and they're, they are a young, happily married couple who adores one another, and I, I know it's Hollywood, Hollywood, so they it's picture perfect, and I understand that. But they, they depict their marriage as a very good, healthy, strong, loving uh, doting marriage. But then right in the beginning of the movie, uh, they're both in this really bad car accident, and the wife goes into a coma. She wakes up uh, a few days later, I believe, and when her husband runs into the room to greet, to see his wife for the first time after she's gone through this, and to greet her, to speak to her, to hold her, to kiss her, and to just to embrace her after such a scary and tragic event, he's greeted by her with a question. Who are you? See, in the car accident, she had hit her head, and it caused her to have amnesia to where she couldn't remember anything, any part of her life where her husband was in it. Can you imagine that? You're married to the love of your life. Your marriage is as good as you could ever imagine. You would do anything for her. And one day, she doesn't even recognize your face, your voice, your embrace. Can you imagine the heartbreak of the husband? This is what we do to God every time we run to anything besides him for ultimate worth or satisfaction. We say, who are you? You haven't done anything for me. You've done no good for me. I don't know you. I don't recognize you. After everything he's done for us, we crush his heart. What are the things in your life that can easily cause you to have amnesia as to who God is for you? What are the things that cause you to forget the love, the protection, the protection, and the goodness of God? What are the things that disrupt the peace between you and God? Maybe you have a similar story to Hannah, Sarah, Elizabeth, Mary. Maybe you've struggled with infertility or an unwanted pregnancy. You know, it seems like every other family is struggling with, with cancer or death in some kind of way. These are some examples of very significant, big issues that we go and face in this life that can easily pull us away from God and push us into the arms of another. But I would argue that it doesn't take an event with such magnitude. I know my heart is, is far too fragile, far too weak. It doesn't need something that big, that catastrophic for me to be pushed towards someone else and away from God. So what are the things? What are the things for you that disrupt the peace between you and God? That's the question we all must answer in our hearts this morning. We've looked at the wife and the marriage metaphor in Isaiah 54, and now we're going to turn to the husband. How does he respond to his wayward wife? How does he respond to his wife that has left him and gone to the arms of others? You know, our culture today tells us that sin isn't that big of a deal. 
as long as you don't hurt or offend anyone else or do whatever, do whatever you want to do. Believe whatever you want to believe. Just don't do anything that's going to hurt or offend someone else. God is a God of love. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't care about sin anymore. That's old school. That's traditional. That's Old Testament only. But in Isaiah 54, we see a much different response from God that our culture doesn't expect and doesn't communicate. We get a picture of the pain and the grief that our sin and our waywardness caused the heart of God. For a brief moment, I deserted you. In overflowing anger, I hid my face from you. When we run away from God, when we sin, when we pursue other lovers, it crushes our husbands. It crushes God's heart. He is angry, and he has every right to be. He has been faithful, and we have been faithless. We have not been faithful. We have broken our vows with him. If a wife cheats on her husband, would any of us expect the husband to not be angry? If a husband cheats on a wife, do we say, well, that's just a guy being a guy, and, ru- and just brush it off? No way. No way would we respond in that way. We would be angry. We should be angry. There should be a just anger when that happens. But our anger ultimately shouldn't be rooted, should be, excuse me, should be rooted in sadness of the brokenness that the adultery is causing in marriage. And due to his shattered heart, God has to remove himself from us for a time. Verses 7 through 8, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you says the Lord, your Redeemer. See, we've broken God's heart, and yet he still chooses to show us compassion due to his everlasting love for us. God made a vow to always be the God of Israel. Our husband made a vow to us that he would always be our husband. In Genesis 15 and 17, God makes a covenant, a a promise with God's people through Abraham. God tells us in Genesis that he will always be our God. Even though, even though we have been, are, and will be unfaithful, God has made a vow to us, and he will not, he cannot break this vow. To break this vow would to make God not be God, if that makes sense. The word compassion is used three times to describe how the husband will respond to his lost wife. And one time it's even called a great compassion, which we would probably translate in English in modern times to, to unconditional love. And he says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to heal our broken marriage and make it to where it can never be broken again. That's what this husband is saying to his wife. That's what God has said to us. Have you ever heard of a marriage that has been broken or destroyed by adultery? Adultery? Yes. I would think many of us, if not all of us, have, unfortunately. Now, have you ever heard of a broken marriage that has been restored and made right by the spouse who is faithful. I haven't. Yet this is who God is. This is who our husband is, our God, our husband is our redeemer. But how can God fix our broken marriage with him? He's still angry. He has every right to be angry. He can't just brush it under the rug, pretend like our spiritual adultery never happened. In Genesis 15 and 17, God makes his vow, his covenant, his promise to be our our husband, and we will be his bride through Abraham. And when covenant is made, uh, two people making the covenant, they will take a bunch of animals, and they will cut them in half. It's going to be a little gross for the next 30 seconds. So kids, we've got young ones in here, I think. If you want to cover their ears, that's up to you. Um, But 
they, they would take animals and they would cut them in half right down the middle and they would make a pathway with the animal half parts. And so the, the blood would come out of the animals and they would make a path of blood with the animals. And what they would do is the two people making a covenant or making a promise, they would walk through this path of blood. And what this is doing is this is symbolizing that if they ever break their promise, make them become like these animals. Cut us in half, shed our blood if we break this promise. But what is mind-boggling and, and unheard of is that in Genesis, God is the only one who walks through the animal parts. God is the only one who walks on the path of blood. And now we know on this side of, of this history and the time that we know that this was just another way of God's word pointing us to the cross and pointing us to Jesus. In Isaiah 54, the wife is deserted and abandoned. And Jesus quotes Psalm 22 using the same words. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you deserted me? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus says on the cross, I'm getting abandoned so that you don't have to. Jesus was deserted by God. He was abandoned by God. God hid his face from him, and God opened up the floodgates of his wrath and poured it out on him. This is how the marriage can be restored. This is the only way the marriage can be restored, and not just restored. This is the only way our marriage could never be broken again. Someone other than us had to come restore and make our marriage right. And this, this is how we can be at peace with our maker, our husband, and our God. As John Piper said, it's so easy to, to keep Christmas in the abstract and make it a non-concrete, non-concrete event. And, and what I mean by this is that, that our world is, is constantly trying to redefine what Christmas is all about. We make it, whether it's movies, commercials, whatever it is, advertisements, whatever it is, whether it's, we make it about family, friends, traditions, Whatever it is, that's not what Christmas is all about. And my kids have been watching, oh, I got all the songs stuck in my head, um, the Trolls Christmas special on Netflix the last few weeks. And uh, that movie makes Christmas, it's all about happiness, getting happiness from inside of yourself. And that's what our world is trying to do. But Christmas is not about these things. But Christmas is about God saying, I've abandoned my wife long enough. And now I'm coming to her. Now I'm going to her. I'm sending my son to redeem and restore our marriage. Jesus came to heal the hurting, find the lost, and save sinners. He came to bring, to bring peace on earth. But not just any peace the, peace, the peace that comes from knowing God and being known by him. The peace of redemption, the peace of reconciliation, the peace that can only come from your husband and your redeemer. For some of you, 2017 was an amazing year. For others, 2017 was an awful year. You can't wait to be in 2018 and forget everything that's happened. But I would encourage you and challenge you, don't let the highs and lows of life rob you, steal from you the eternal peace that Jesus, our Prince of Peace, has bought for us on the cross. Let this peace guide your heart as we close out 2017 and enter 2018. Let's pray. Father, when we look to your word and we just think about uh, this metaphor of a lost wife and a compassionate husband, 
we're just, we're reminded and we're just hit with the truth that our, our unfaithfulness, our inability to, to love you well and stay faithful to you is real. It is real. We are unfaithful, broken people. We are an unfaithful, broken wife and bride to you. We were, we were so unfaithful and, and you were so upset about our unfaithfulness that even there's this massive gap in between the Old Testament and New Testament where you just abandoned us. You said, I'm, I'm tired of this. Enough is enough. I can't deal with you. And your, in your righteous anger, you left us. For 400 years in history, you just left earth. But then, Father, when we looked to the New Testament, Testament and we see just your promise of your son, just the, the prophecies of Isaiah 7 and 9 being fulfilled, just in the promise of your son being born, and the promise of, of you saying, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to restore what you all have broken. I'm coming back, and I'm going to make it to where this, this broken thing you have made can never be broken again. But you had to do that through your son. You had to do that through the cross, and for that we are so thankful. So, Father, as we, we think about and reflect about uh, just Christmas in 2017 and just this past year, and we approach 2018 or about to enter, we just pray that you would uh, just anchor us, anchor us in the peace, and the peace that can only come from you. Give us your peace. Just let us be anchored in the peace that, is, that has been paid for by your death on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we all have different stories. We're all going through different things, um, some of them very hard, some of them very uh, good. But let me read Isaiah 54, verse 10 for us before we go. For the mountains say, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So whatever you're going through, whatever you've been facing this past year, whatever you're going to face in 2018, um, just you can be rooted in this peace that has been given to you. It's been given to you by your compassionate, faithful maker, husband, and God. So as we go, uh, we go with, with this blessing of God over us. So please receive God's blessing over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.